The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Well, good morning, Morgan Hill Bible Church. How are we doing? Good, good. Ah, so glad to be here with you all together. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to stand out, to be someone that would be memorable, that people would look at and go, oh yeah, I remember that guy. So that's why I got tattoos. (laughs) Now, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm six foot nine. For those of you out on the courtyard, welcome. For those of you uh, watching online, welcome as well. I'm six foot nine. I stand out. And I've always stood out, even as a little kid. I was one of the tallest in my class all the time. I've always been that person that people are like, oh, I remember you. You're that tall guy. Uh, And I kind of like dig myself into this sometimes too to make myself even more memorable. My name's Ben, and I introduce myself to people as Big Ben. (laughs) And it helps people remember Big Ben. In fact, I have a picture of Big Ben with Big Ben. (laughs) When I was out in London back in 2008, that was the one thing I wanted to see. I didn't care about anything else. I took tons of pictures of Big Ben with Big Ben. I stand out. I'm memorable. But sometimes it's hard standing out. Sometimes it's hard being this tall. Yes, I get the litany of questions that come along with it. No, I don't know your relative or friend that's kind of like almost as tall as me. There's no club, right? You know, but whatever it is. But it's hard being tall. On Saturday, I'm going to sit down on an airplane for 13 hours. I'm taking a 13-hour flight on Saturday. Planes are not made for six foot nine people. There's no leg room. It's just uncomfortable. God has blessed me with a hard head. So thankfully, as I hit my head on things all the time, which I do all the time, thankfully, I don't bleed too much. But it is challenging sometimes being this tall. I mean, sure, it comes in handy when I'm at a concert. I'll be able to see better than all of you, but... If you're that person that's behind me asking me to move, that bothers me. I paid for this seat. Let me stay in my seat. You've got to figure out how to move. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're in week two of our series called Good News, where we're just talking about showing off Jesus to others. In our passage today, we're called to stand out. I'd invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of a three-chapter long sermon that Jesus spoke. A very long sermon. Jesus shared a lot of different things. It's one of his most well-known sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, Jesus challenges those that are listening to him to be different, to stand out. He talks about how you've heard that it was said to do this, but I tell you 
to do the exact opposite. You've heard that it was said to do this, but I tell you, you're not doing enough around that. Jesus pushes the people that are listening to be different. And so as we start out this morning, uh, getting to our passage, I thought we would start the same way that Jesus started in Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse two. Listen to how he calls his listeners to be different. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit? Yep. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to stand out. I want you to be different, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge. You're going to be persecuted. So Jesus starts with all of that and then gets into the passage that we're looking at today. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Salt stands out. Light stands out. We as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are called to stand out. Now, just in the same way that me being tall comes with challenges, you standing out as a follower of Jesus comes with challenges. Jesus just talked about one, persecution. We're in a battle We are wanting to point people to Jesus to show him off and the enemy wants nothing to do with that. And so he will persecute us. He will send people to persecute us. We are in a constant wrestle back and forth. We're in a battle. Another challenge that comes with standing out is misunderstanding. False assumptions. People will hear that you're a Christian and then say, oh, you're a Christian. So that means you think this. That means you believe this. That means you're like this, da-da-da-da-da. They add things on and make these assumptions, sometimes correct, sometimes wrong. But there's misunderstanding around it. There are some people that call themselves Christians and completely misrepresent Christ. They're the ones that make the news or people hear about and people assume that all Christians are like that. There's misunderstanding. There's also scrutiny that comes when you stand out. When you say that you're a Christian, Jesus says, they're gonna see your good works. Yeah, but what if they see me fail? 
there's weight around that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit too. But how do we overcome this? How do we overcome these challenges? Well, we need to stand out in relationship. We need to stand out in relationship. Maybe you've uh, watched the news or you've seen an article or a headline that's tearing down Christianity, tearing down Christians, or someone says that they're a Christian and is misrepresenting Christ. And you're like, I have the answer. I want to respond to that. I have something to say. You can do that with your friend. You can do that with your family member that doesn't know Jesus. Sure, you can't necessarily respond to the person that wrote that article or to the person that's giving that news report but you can respond to your friend that might have a misconception about that and you can talk to them about it. Salt can only impact a dish when it's mixed in. If you've got a bland dish and you're just sitting in the salt shaker, you're not where you're supposed to be. You need to stand out in relationship. You need to be in there. What does Jesus say is the light that others will see? He says, it's your good works. This can't happen from a distance. You need to be in relationship with others. The key is relationship. Michael tossed out a a challenge last week to be praying for five people that don't know Jesus, to write down their names and be praying for them. If you had trouble coming up with five names, there's work to be done there. You need to be in relationship. We're gonna talk more about that shortly. Let's take a look at Jesus's challenge to be standing out. So this morning, I'm gonna give you three tangible ways to spread the good news about Jesus. And if you like filling in blanks, you like taking notes, here comes blank number one. The first way to spread the good news about Jesus is don't lose your usefulness. Don't lose your usefulness. Look again at verse 13. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, useless, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay, Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. Well, okay, what does he mean by that? He doesn't really get into it. But we can know from contextual clues, from cultural clues, we can kind of put together some of what he's kind of pointing at. We know that back in Jesus's day, salt was mainly used for two things. It was used as a preservative to prevent corruption of food. And it was also used to give flavor, to add flavor to food. So we have these two things. It's meant to be a preservative and it's meant to give flavor. Did you know they actually make unsalted pretzels? Unsalted pretzels. It's just wrong. Honestly, I opened these up last night. So we got the regular pretzels. And we got the unsalted pretzels. And I could have been blindfolded. I could have been hanging upside down. I could have been spun around 19 times, whatever. I could have had other food shoved in my mouth and then did it. Every single time I would have known which one was the salted and which one was the unsalted. 
you would also pass this test every single time. I ate the unsalted one first and then I popped the salted one in my mouth and I was like, ah, there we go. A little bit of flavor. Salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. If you want to test this after church, that's totally fine. I'll, I'll have the pretzels with me back over under the tent. Come by and try a couple. So whether Jesus is talking about salt as a preservative, preventing corruption, or giving flavor, either one is changing something for the better. Changing something for the better. So here Jesus calls us to be salt. You're the salt of the earth. Okay, we're here to offer flavor to prevent corruption. But then look at how this verse is laid out. He just says that little statement, you're the salt of the earth. Then he says, but, and he goes on and on and on. See, the thrust of Jesus's statement here is not on what it means to be salt, but rather on what happens when you're not salt. So the exact like, what does he mean by salt isn't as important as what happens when I'm not being salt? What happens when I'm losing my usefulness, right? He says, if it's not salt, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. That's useless now. So how do you lose your usefulness? How do you become not salt? Two ways. Number one is that you're salt, but you're not where you need to be. If this is a bland dish, we're going to get to this in a minute. I bet you guys can guess how. If this is a bland dish and you're sitting here in a salt shaker and you have the ability to flavor this dish, but you're staying in your salt shaker, you're not where you're supposed to be. You need to be poured out. You need to be added to the dish. You need to be present there in the dish, adding flavor. So that's one way to lose your usefulness is you're not where you're supposed to be. The other way to lose your usefulness is to be imposter salt. Imposter salt. This is a box of unsalted saltine crackers. Unsalted saltine crackers. You want to know what one of the ingredients is? It's salt. I kid you not. I... How does this make any sense? The salt that's there isn't doing its job. It's not adding any flavor. These are bland and dry and just like, if you want zero moisture in your mouth, just eat a few of these and bam, it's gone. No flavor, no taste whatsoever. The salt is imposter salt. It's not doing what it's meant to be doing. Aren't we that way sometimes as Christians? I'm sure many of you are familiar with the phrase, be in the world, but not of the world. Now, though that specific phrase isn't anywhere in scripture, the concept of it is all throughout scripture. Here's two verses that point to it. First of all, John 15, 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Jesus is telling his disciples, I don't want you to be of the world. I don't want you to be like everyone around you, kind of just blending in. That's imposter salt. But then in John 17, 15, he also says, and he's praying to his father, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He wants his disciples to continue to be present in the world because that's where they're gonna be effective. Again, you're not effective if you're sitting in the salt shaker and the dish needs flavor. You've got to be there in the world. Too much removed from the world and you're ineffective. You've got to be mixed in. But too much being of the world and you're not going to be distinguishable. You need to be different. You need to be salty. None of this imposter salt business. None of this unsalted saltines. Don't lose your usefulness. There's a statement we've been saying here at Morgan Hill Bible Church for a little time now. In the past 10 to 15 years, the church has become very well known for what it's against. We want to be known for what we're for. The church has become very well known for what it's against. Well, why? Why has that happened? That's happened because relationship is missing. There are some very loud voices that are pointing to the things that the Bible says, but they're not doing it in the context of relationship or in the context of the gospel. And so the focus becomes these side issues instead of the gospel, or what's being said is misinterpreted or taken out of context. And because of this, the church, the capital C church around the world has lost its usefulness. The church has lost its usefulness. So how do we fix this? One person at a time. One person at a time. We become known for what we're for by being present, by being in relationship with others and standing out. We get to put these side issues that are coming up in the context of the gospel. We get to clarify misunderstandings that are popping up. I've had multiple friends that don't know Jesus ask me the question, why are Christians hypocrites? And it comes out in different ways, uh, the way that they ask it. Now, I could very well try to come up with this one like little pat answer and like, okay, whenever anyone asks me that, I know exactly what I'm gonna say and I've got my little script and I'm ready to go and it's gonna get them good, you know, whatever. I could try to come up with something like that, but I don't. Rather, I recognize, and I'm sure you guys do as well, is that each time someone brings up that question, there's a story behind it. There's a why behind what they're saying. And so every time that question comes up, I engage in conversation with my friend. I sit down, I say, hey, let's have a longer conversation about this. Let's dive into this. Let me ask you some questions. And so I get to meet them where they're at and I get to put things in the context of the gospel. And sometimes I do have to apologize and say, I'm really sorry that these people that are calling themselves Christians are misrepresenting who Jesus is. Yes, what these people are doing was wrong. Who Jesus is, is very different from that. Let me show you him. 
but that happens in relationship. It happens in relationship. It all begins with being different, but being in the mix. Being different, so not being imposter salt, right? Being salty, but being in the mix where you belong. So don't lose your usefulness. Be in relationship with people that need Jesus, standing out in those relationships. And as you do, you will shine in the darkness. You'll shine in the darkness. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Now this phrase, the light of the world, maybe as you've been reading your Bible, you go, wait, hold on. I thought that's supposed to be Jesus. Isn't Jesus the light of the world? Well, yeah, he sure is. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So yes, Jesus showed up as the light of the world. He says it time after time after time. We have it recorded in scripture. But then when Jesus leaves and goes to heaven, he transfers that responsibility of being the light of the world to us. Look at what it says in Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He's passed that responsibility on to us. He's left us to shine as lights, to point others to him. This is why when we come to Jesus, he doesn't just take us up to heaven. Woohoo, done. But rather he leaves us here to be lights. Excuse me. (coughs) Now, Jesus talks about lighting a lamp and putting it under a basket. I don't have a basket. I have a bowl, but it works the same way. Just this morning, I was using this flashlight. I didn't want to wake anybody up as I was getting ready. And it really helped me see. It was great. You know what I didn't do? I didn't put it under a bowl. Why? Not effective. Taking a light and putting it under a bowl is akin to coming to Jesus and then just hanging out with other Christians. This is who I'm going to be surrounded by, just other Christians. I, don't, I, I, I just want to be around other Christians. Now, imagine you're a tiny person and you get to be inside this bowl. Inside of the bowl, it's really, really bright. It's super bright in there. The light's on. You can see anything and everything. And if you come to Jesus and all you do is hang out with other Christians, guess what? You're gonna be encouraged. You're gonna be like, yay, Jesus, isn't he wonderful? And you get to worship him together and you get to grow in your relationship with Jesus and so do they. And there's, it's, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But then when you take that first step out of the bowl, your, your eyes are used to the brightness and, and you step out into the darkness and it's gonna take time for your eyes to adjust. You're gonna be in this weird environment. So it is the same if you spend all your time just hanging out with Christians and then someone who needs to know Jesus comes up and wants to have a conversation with you or start a relationship with you, it's gonna be difficult. We're not meant to do this. 
to just sit under our little bowl and just hang out with Christians all the time. And to be real with you guys, this was absolutely hard for me as a pastor. I've been a pastor for 18 years. And when you're a pastor, a lot of the time you spend with other Christians. Everyone I work with is a Christian. Most of the people that want to talk to a pastor are Christians or have some faith background or something like that. And so most of the time, I would find myself hanging out with Christians. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. And so I'm there taking students that are showing up to church every week and pouring into them and helping them grow to become more like Jesus. And during some of those seasons, if Michael had asked me to write down the names of five people that don't know Jesus that I'm praying for, I would have had a tough time filling in that list because I was just hanging out with Christians a lot. Between the time when I left my last church and came here to Morgan Hill Bible, I spent a year working at FedEx. Oh boy, did I get to be a light. There was a group of uh, about 50 of us that worked together. And in that group of 50, there was me and one other Christian. And that was it. And here, in a, in a new way, after being a pastor for so many years and being all about pouring into people and showing them Jesus, I got to tangibly do it. And I had people come up to me and ask me all sorts of questions that I've been aching for people to ask. Hey, what does it mean to be born again? One of my coworkers asked me that one time. You're a, you were a pastor, is that even a job? Don't you guys just work on Sundays? You know, like questions like that, which was like, great. Questions like, hey, why are Christians like this? Oh, I loved it. I was like, this, this is what I've been aching for. Let me ask you guys this. Raise your hand if you work in some secular job. Secular job. Okay, now look around at all the hands raised. Every single hand raised And those of you doing it outside, I hope you're doing it too. Every single hand raised is a light in a dark place. Every single hand raised is someone that has the opportunity to show off Jesus in a dark place. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor during the Nazi regime in Germany. And he was very outspoken against Hitler and everything that he was doing. He ended up being hanged for standing out. He was 39 years old when he was killed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. And think about the context of that too. Of course, like many of those Christians probably wanted to hide because they were afraid of the persecution that was happening. But he said, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself, hide it under a bowl, has ceased to follow him. What did Jesus tell us to do? He told us to go and make disciples. He didn't say, come to me and then keep it to yourself. Quite the opposite Jesus says uh, that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Think about a city on a hill. 
A city that's on a hill is in a very strategic location. It's full of many lights. It's visible from far away. It stands out as different. Just as salt stands out, light stands out. A city on a hill stands out. So as believers, we should be strategic in the locations we put, we put ourselves. Be strategic in the locations you're putting yourselves. How are you being a light in your family? How are you being a light at school, at work, in your neighborhood, with your friends, as you participate in your hobbies? Like I said, I, I was always tall. So of course, when it came time to play sports, I gravitated right away to disc golf. I actually love disc golf, but yes, I did play basketball as I was growing up uh, on different teams. And I got the opportunity to go with a bunch of other Christian basketball players. And we went and spent three weeks overseas playing basketball against local teams, inviting people to come to the games. And at halftime, we'd share the gospel. And we'd see people come to Jesus and then get them connected to local pastors in the area. And this flight on Saturday that I'm hopping on, I'm going out to Montenegro and doing exactly the same thing with disc golf. A bunch of Christian disc golfers are headed out to Montenegro and we're gonna teach people the sport of disc golf and we're gonna connect them to Jesus. And we're gonna share the gospel with them and connect them with a local pastor that has a thriving sports ministry and we're just gonna pour more fuel on the fire. Super excited to take hobbies, things that I love and using them strategically to point people to Jesus. Friends, God has put you in your family, at your school, at your work, in your neighborhood, with your friends to be light there. I didn't ask Michael to ever come and visit me at FedEx so that he could share the gospel with my coworkers. Well, that's a pastor. That's what you're supposed to do, right? No. You know who is the pastor at FedEx? Me. That was my job. It was my job to be there, to be present, to show Jesus off to those people. And they listened to me. They wouldn't have listened to Michael. They don't know Michael, but they listened to me. Why? Because I have a relationship with them. I'm connected with them. God has put people around you for you to be that light in their life. So don't hide under a bowl. Shine your light. You see the importance of relationship? We're called to stand out, but that happens most effectively when we aren't limited to packing everything into one conversation. When we're able to answer questions that come up over time. When we're able to put everything in the context of the gospel. Now in doing all this, it would be easy to pat ourselves on the back when we're doing well or carry the weight of guilt when we aren't. But the third way we tangibly point people to the good news about Jesus is to give glory to God. Give glory to God. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See your good works. And if you read it in a certain way, that feels very weighty, very heavy. Yes, it's true that once someone knows you're a Christian, you're gonna be watched more carefully. We talked about that earlier. You're gonna be watched even when you're not being intentional and the focus is gonna be on what you're doing and not as much on what you're saying. 
But this is where the importance of relationship comes up again. I've failed in front of my non-Christian friends. I've been a poor representation of Jesus. And what do I do when that happens? I look them in the eye and I apologize. I tell them, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's not right. That's not who Jesus is. But you know what also I get to tell them? I tell them that I follow Jesus not because I do good works, but rather because I cannot do good works. That's why I follow Jesus, because on my own, I continue to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And so I need Jesus. I give my life over to him. And then these good works that end up coming out, these good works that Jesus is talking about, those are works that are coming from the Holy Spirit working through us. Holy Spirit, those are works that the Holy Spirit is doing through us, pointing us to what God wants and giving us desires that are not our own. On my own, I desire selfishness. I desire me. I desire making myself great. But when I'm running after Jesus, I'm making him great. And those desires aren't coming from me, but rather the Holy Spirit working through me. It says in Hebrews 13, that may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. He is the one equipping. He is the one that is giving us the ability to do good. And so the glory doesn't go to me because it's clearly not in my nature to do those good things. We need to shift our mindset as we look at this phrase, see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Shift it from, oh my gosh, I need to do good works so that my friends will see Jesus in me. I've got to do this. I've got to make this happen. Take that mindset and get rid of it. Rather, look at this phrase and go, I am doing good works because Jesus is in me. And my friends will see the difference. I am doing good works because Jesus is the one that's working through me and my friends are gonna see the difference. We just got to celebrate these baptisms and it's so beautiful to see these people standing up in front of their friends, in front of their family saying, this is what's important to me. They're shining as lights. But each one that got there, that wasn't a decision like we, we clap for them, but rather it's the Holy Spirit that's changing them, that's drawing them to this. We're about to sing a song, Christ be magnified. And as we do, I'd encourage you to make that a prayer. Christ be magnified in me. I want people not to see me, but to see Jesus. So go and be salt, be light, flavor the world. Don't lose your usefulness. Shine in the darkness. Be exactly where you need to be. Be strategic about it. Stand out around the people that God has put in your life. And as you do, they will see the difference and glorify him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you invited us to be salt and light. Wow. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing. God, it's hard sometimes and we fail. But God, help us just to be mindful of the relationships that we're in. 
and to pursue those relationships with people that need to know you. You've put us in those relationships for a reason. You've put us in our schools for a reason, in our jobs for a reason, in our neighborhoods for a reason. God, you've put us around these people. You've put us in our families for a reason. To be light, to show you off. God, may you help us to be effective where we are, showing you off every single day, being real with others. And may people see the good that we do and give the glory not to us, but to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.